Hello and welcome back into another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher of D1 Ticker. Thrilled to be welcomed as always by former Virginia and BYU coach Bronco Mendenhall. And Bronco, we have another guest this week, somebody really special uh, that, that you know well, Dave Clausen, the head coach at Wake Forest. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on, Brian and Bronco. And I've listened to every one of them and I, I really enjoy it. And I think you guys are doing a great job. And I'm sure for everybody in the, in the coaching industry has benefited from this. Well, the, the check is in the mail for that. Yeah. One of the things, Brian, that um, I don't know is the way this works for those that are listening is, is I, I kind of uh, choose who comes on. And, you know, when someone's impacted my life along the way, either as a coach or a professional or as a human being, right, that I think can add value to this profession that needs leadership at, at probably now more than ever. And young people need leadership now more than ever. Um, you know, that's how you qualify. And so Dave and I got to know each other when I first came to the CC. And um, what's so impactful is the place that Dave coaches at Wake Forest is very unique and specific. And sometimes, right, that the outside world thinks that excludes you from being able to have really strong success football wise. And I, I just don't believe that. And I know Dave doesn't either. And then eventually you find the right scheme, the right strategy, the right leadership, the right people. You get the right fit uh, and things start to come to fruition that in spite of or or the, the maybe the weaknesses perceived at a school become strengths with the right coach and the right leader. And that's what I think Dave has done. And so I just thought there'd be so many lessons that others could learn from having Dave on, not only as a leader and a coach, but as a person. And so that's that's how you get qualified to, to be on. So we're just we're so good to have you, Dave. Well, I'm honored, Bronco, and you know the respect that I have for you. And I don't know if I would have got through the COVID season without you. You know, mm. those Monday and Tuesday that. talks uh, of what we were doing and the purpose of it, uh, those are very challenging times. And uh, I don't know if I could have got through that 2020 season without some of the advice and counsel that you were giving me. So I feel the same way. Well, I, I, I want to touch upon that uh, here here in just a little bit. But but before we do, Dave, you just came off a, a big win a, against Army. And, and Bronco, I know you guys ended up playing uh, quite a few of those triple option teams. Uh, when you're back in at your BYU days, you played Air Force quite a bit uh, in the Mountain West. Now, I'm curious, fr from your standpoint, what, what's more difficult to prepare for? Is, is it that triple option teams, uh, especially maybe on, on a short week, or is it Dave's slow mesh that uh, you got got to worry about as a defensive guy? Man, that, that's that's a tough question. So the, the triple option, because that was so that is so distinct and different and the teams that do it well, it, it takes you to a whole, whole other place. And and quite frankly, the, the best part of playing a triple option team, which was my favorite, by the way, regardless of outcome, because of the fundamentals and the challenge and just rethinking like all what you know about football and does it fit when you play a team like that? So just when we kind of became option defense experts um, and, and kind of got that dialed in, um, then we took a, a shellacking playing Navy one year at, at Virginia as I was trying to help those kids kind of learn how to defend the option, right? Which was sometimes you have to go through it before you, you try it. And then we played Dave my first year, maybe the first shoot right at the beginning of my career at Virginia. And and the slow mesh was slow and not meshing as well. Uh, and, but Dave's team won. 
And then the next time we played, it was, oh, it's slow and it's meshing pretty dang well. And then the next time it was this thing, what, whatever this is, this is formidable. And so it's been fun for Dave to see the vision that he had and then the continuity and the stick-to-itiveness. Because a lot of times, you know, people abandon things when it's not just perfect. And the stick-to-itiveness with the foresight of what it could become and the advantage that could lend. And man, you add a couple receivers on the outside of that when you're meshing and slowing and running and, and having to deal with that. And then the RPO-ish action, and you just end up with one-on-ones. And that's a tough deal. And so anyway, the foresight for all that, I'm not sure which is harder, but they're both really hard. And, and that's a credit to the designer. Dave, I'll flip that question around for, for you. Playing that triple option, you know that you're going to have some some limited possessions there just because of the, the clock that they're going to soak up. Does that put any additional pressure on, on you and your staff in terms of, hey, we, we, we got to score at some time? Is there that that feeling that, hey, we, we got to do a little bit more every time we have the football? Absolutely. And I think whenever you play a triple option team, whether it be Army, Navy, one of the academies, is there's so much emphasis put on the defense of – defending a different style of attack and playing, uh, you know, the, the cut blocks and the different formations and all the different motions they run, but it's a team game. And the offense is part of that is you're not going to get a lot of possessions and you better score when you get the football. And so you go into that game saying, you know, for every three times you get the ball, you better score at least twice. Cause if you ever allow those teams to get ahead of you, it becomes a really long day. And yet, if you can jump out to a lead and make them play from behind, then at times they're forced to do things they're not as comfortable doing. So, you know, it's not just about how are you going to defend it, but the offense plays a huge role in that. And, uh, you know, a year ago, we played Army up at, at West Point and we won 70 to 56. <laughs> and, uh, wow. You know, I, and I don't know, you know, th- th- this year, you know, we had a little different scheme. Uh, but I think the biggest part of it is, is getting your players to embrace the challenge of defending the triple option. You know, there's so much of it of, you know, D linemen, they don't want to be cut block and, you know, it requires a a level of discipline and focus, uh, that's unique in terms of defense when you play that style. And I just think that the best job that our defensive staff did this year was just getting them to embrace the challenge of what it would take, uh, to win a game like that. And then our offensive staff did a great job of, of coming up with a plan and getting the players to understand the value of every play and the value of every rep and not falling behind the chains. Because against Army, uh, a first and 10 that becomes a second and 15 becomes a third and 12, and now you're giving up a possession, and you might only get eight of them. So you, you can't waste the play. To, to back up Dave's point, I, I remember, and I used to circle it, and when the season – or when our schedule would come out at BYU, I would go right to the Air Force game and I would start promoting that game to our players the minute it came off the presses. Um, and that became literally one of the most exciting and formidable games that they look forward to. Uh, but that comes from the leader, right? And and presenting it as a huge opportunity rather than, oh, we have to go do this and play. And so really just how it's presented back to what Dave was saying is such a huge point. And man, when you play well against one of those teams, there's a sense of accomplishment that is well earned, and and that's a that's a huge marker for a program. And the big difference was a year ago we won that game seventy to fifty six, 
And I think only half of our football team felt like they played in a winning football game. And what was so rewarding this year is our whole football team felt like they played in a winning football game. And, uh, you know, the pride of our defense of taking something we didn't defend well a year ago, working at it, applying themselves, embracing it, and then having success. But like you said, Bronco, when you play a game like that, you can't put the defense in the week of the game. So we devoted a day in spring football to it. We devoted four practices in fall camp to it. We took 10-minute periods almost every Sunday just so when we did get to the game week and we had the calls, it wasn't putting in a new defense. So it it takes an inordinate amount of time uh, and commitment level from the whole program to just prepare for that one game. And I think what's happening now, um, and and we weren't together or in the same league quite long enough, but I think what will happen now is as, as Dave and Wake Forest brand has grown, right, to be um, expected to win, right, and expected to compete for conference championships, then that same approach, you know, other schools that, that will play Wake Forest now will be doing the same with that style of play, right, that Wake Forest has because of the results have been demonstrated that it's going to work, right? And and you can not prepare for it at your own peril or you use only game week if you want at your own peril, and so when you start building in the other things, it's the greatest compliment, but it also it gives confidence to your players, but it also lets them know, man, way before that game is even played, that it's going to be important and it's going to require a different mindset. And it's as the culture grows, like in Dave's program, right, there's another story that's just added. That Army game that was just won is now a story that's passed on of how you play that game and how you play that team. And that that now lives on and it, it prevents – a more likely chance that it happens again. So. And Dave, you guys are you guys are on your your bye week. Uh, you just just uh, taking a, a little bit of a break here to, to chat with us here on a, the Head Coach You podcast. And and I'm curious, how, how do you structure your bye weeks? I, I think that's a, something a lot of coaches do a lot very differently. Some some give a lot of time to the, the players to have off. Uh, you know, others you know want want to get them right back into practice. Not not much change other than you're not playing on, on Saturday. How, how do you structure your, your bye weeks there there at Wake? And and how has that approach maybe changed over the years uh, going back to your early head coaching days? It's changed a lot uh, in the more we learn about sports science and how the body recovers and uh, the level of activity to prevent injuries, right? There's this whole idea that, hey, we're halfway through the season, just give them the week off and rest them. And our research has shown if you do that, we've increased the likelihood of an injury the next week. So it's this complete balance and we just had a staff meeting. And you almost talk about every player on the team of what do they need in the bye week? You know, so the the fifth year senior that's played 2,700 reps, what he needs is a lot different than maybe what your third offensive tackle needs who hasn't played a lot. And so you almost need to structure the practice in a way that the guys that have had a lot of reps and they're sore and they're banged out, that they feel that they're recovered before our next game prep. And then there's this development aspect of what we do that there's, you know, eight to 12 people that fortunately they haven't had to play 40, 50, 60 plays in a game yet because we stayed healthy, but they're one injury away from having to do that. So what do they need this week? Because who knows when you're going to need them? It might be week eight, week nine, week 10. You can never predict those things, but if you don't get them ready, you can be guaranteed they're not ready. And so 
we try to have a, a certain level of activity uh, so that you don't go from full speed to nothing back to full speed. Uh, but at the same time, there are guys that have played a lot of football, uh, that there is some wear and tear. And we want those guys feel like the batteries charged for the second half of the season. Rocco, how, how do you guys uh, approach the bye week in, in your programs? Yeah, I was just going to kind of uh, piggyback off of what Dave was saying. It's it's really a unique challenge because you're looking for um, individuality and specificity within a collective. And, and so you still want your team culture to grow. And there's still areas of emphasis within your team that need to be addressed. And, and it might be, you know, I don't know, third and medium, or it might be uh, – red zone offense or defense, or it might be kick coverage. You know, there's still things that you've identified along the way that need attention and can be improved through all the data and analysis that you have a little bit more time to look at. But it does start with the people and the players. And so there's a cool uh, exercise physiology principle called uh, SAID, Specific Adaptation to Imposed Demand. And so what Dave was just saying, there's been certain players on his team that their imposed demand has been at a different level than others, right? And so it's not all the same. And so during the bye week, the imposed demand can be altered a little bit, right? Some need more recovery. Some need more demand to stay ready. And then hopefully you're designing the cultural context and the, and the strategic context to improve uh, while all that's going on. And at the same time, let's be honest, the coaches um, – there's a fatigue factor and a renewal factor that there's a moment um, or an hour or a day that can be captured during the bye week that's going to um, return yield down the stretch with fresher leaders. And so that doesn't mean, you know, everyone's on the golf course, but it does mean, if possible, efficiency increased with a little more renewal built in. I always thought that was, I wanted the leaders to be excited to, to play more football also. And sometimes, Man, that was, I can't say it overrode the players, but it was on my mind a lot. Yeah, absolutely right, Bronco. We had our staff meeting today and, you know, we're getting ready to play Boston College out of the break. And one of the messages to the staff is, I don't want anybody in their office at 501 today. That's awesome. Like, get home, have dinner with your families. Uh, you know, we're going to recruit later in the week because, you know, we need to do that during a bye week. But these three days are one of the very few days in coaching that there's no reason to not be having dinner with your families and you know what that does for their mental outlook and their health and gets them excited about the second half of the year we we all need to get refreshed because as you know this is a marathon and you know we just hit the uh you know the 13.1 mile marker of our season yeah. and uh we need to get a little bit of a break and and get excited about the second half one of the things too Brian is uh, one of the hallmarks of, of great cultures and programs or really any organization that really, I think, thrives gratitude is at the core of that. And, and when the leader is looking for opportunities to care for those that he works with, that goes so it's a it goes a long, long ways. Right. And and you don't do it to to be recognized. You do it because you care about and you're thankful for the people that are working with you. So gratitude is going both ways, right? So you're looking to, to give them every chance to have success, but also have some semblance of balance in a time that really doesn't allow for it. And so when, when a decision like that is made, that statement, there's just a little extra pep in the step of um, a staff when they go out because their hearts are more captured now than ever 
um, because they're being cared for. Right. And that's man, not in college football, that being cared for mentality, I think is becoming a lost art and uh, that's too bad. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up the slow mesh and what we've been able to do on offense, but, you know, quite frankly, I get way too much credit for it. You know, our offensive coordinator, Warren Ruggiero is really the genius behind it. He's the one that kind of recognized early in our time here at Wake Forest, that it was going to be hard for us to be traditional, that we'd have to do something a little bit different, a little thinking outside the box. Um, And we have good players, but if we could add that element of making what we do unique and different. And Warren and I have worked together for 14 years and he has an incredible work ethic. He's very bright. Uh, he's a, a very good play caller. And I think part of the reason we've had success here uh, is that we have had staff stability. And, you know, these are guys I trust and, and they're going to work really hard. And they're almost guys, if you don't tell them to go home at 501, just out of habit, they're going to stay. And whether it's Kevin Higgins, our wide receiver coach, and, you know, again, over half the staff has been with me for all nine years and I trust them and I know they're going to work hard. And, you know, I recognize that they need these breaks and, you know, hopefully these are little things that make them enjoy their work environment here. Um, You know, they're here not because they have to be. They've certainly had other opportunities. And I'm really grateful that they've chose to stay and and help us build it because they're as responsible as anybody for the success we've had. You know, that word trust is it's easily used, but rarely understood of what that truly takes. And, And I heard one time and I've used this a lot. Trust is built with time, consistency and results. And it takes all three. So just being together for a long time doesn't mean, right? That could mean actually you don't trust someone when you get to know them really well. So you have time, but the consistency, meaning they are going to do what they say they're going to do every time, right? And when you get enough, when there's a tipping point after the hundredth time they said this and do that, it's like, you know what? That's always going to happen. And that, and then if those decisions actually yield, right? If it yields success, then all of a sudden, and really we can't coach anyone that doesn't want um, a relationship and doesn't want to be coached. They have to choose somewhere along the line to trust us that what we're saying is going to work and coaches as well. And so when I chose to come to Virginia, I brought, I believe it was 14 staff members, much like Dave was saying, because I trusted them. I've seen them about every context. That doesn't mean they were the best staff, but I knew exactly what they are capable of, what we were capable of, and that starting and reference point was already united. There wasn't having to be trust established. So at least we had that part. And then hopefully we could learn and grow. And when you have a staff over half of, for nine years, that not only, right, um, there's been enough time, right? There's been enough consistency and results. Man, when you find something like that, why would you leave? And because it's really hard to develop. And, and so that's a huge advantage and it shows each year because Dave's programs continue to improve, right? It's not where there's there's flattening and et cetera. That comes with the consistency, right? And that's um, uh, that's by design, right? It's not by accident. Yeah, I mean, our running back coach, John Hunter, has been 14 straight years at two different schools. And our receiver coach, Kevin Higgins, I worked for him in 1994 at Lehigh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So there's a, a lot of history here. Our defensive line coach and I, Dave Cohen, we GA together in 1989. 
Uh, and so, again, I, I trust them. And the other thing with all these coaches is I've seen them how they go through hard years. You know, our second year at Bowling Green, we were two and ten. And the same work ethic, the same commitment to excellence, the same mindset of we're going to get this thing fixed and make it better. Their work habits didn't change whether we had success or failure. They were the same people every day. And, and that's really hard to find. And like I said, I, I mean, there's no way we would be having this type of success here if it wasn't for the staff that we have. Um, as you know, Bronco, you know, the, the head coach and the quarterback, right? They get oh, way man. too much credit and too much of the blame. And I am so grateful for the staff that I have. They're just outstanding. And, and Wake Forest is, is fortunate to have them. And when when the players within each one of those units feels the same way that their coach is grateful for them. And so when I was leaving Virginia, when I when I made my decision to pause, a player came in and unsolicited and he sat down and he just said, coach, I just wanted to say what I appreciated most was consistency. I just I didn't have to wonder when I showed up at the building um, who you were going to be. Uh, and what you were going to be, whether we won or whether we lost. And he said that was um, probably the lesson he would take from college football, especially when he's being a parent, because possibly his parents were a little more volatile, you know, and there was some anxiety coming home as to what what, what it was going to look like. And And college football becomes a really cool place to lead from if if you can – earn trust through the things that we're talking about because the impact, right? The impact is, is really what we're hopeful to do on, on maybe helping these kids. And I, I think, I think we have probably two of the, the best uh, rebuilders of, of programs in, in all of college football on, on this podcast. And uh, Dave, I'm, I'm curious for, from your perspective, I mean, you, you rebuilt Fordham for, from 0 and 11 to, uh, to go into the Patriot league title for, I think first time in, in, in a decade back in the, back in the day, uh, you know, you took around, took Richmond and turned it around Bowling Green. Uh, we, we mentioned nine years at Wake Forest to now being a consistent top 25 team. Uh, it, I, there's not one probably secret to success in, in, in that, but, but what are some of the ingredients in terms of things that you know that you have to do are kind of out there and trying to rebuild a program? Well, I think with all the programs, you know, your core values have to stay the same. You know, so the things that you believe in, in terms of the academics, the accountability, the discipline, uh, those are things, uh, you know, in terms of, of coaches having the best interest of the players always at the forefront of every decision. Those things have been consistent across all four programs. Um, now the, how we do it has completely changed because these are four completely different schools. And so, you know, what we've done offensively, defensively in the kicking game, how we recruit, all of those things have to be specific to the institution you work at. Cause if I took the same offense defensive scheme that I used at Fordham, that wouldn't have worked at Richmond and that wouldn't have worked at Bowling Green. So, so much of it is assessing uh, at the school you're at, okay, what are the reasons you can win? What are the reasons you should win? And everywhere you go that you're rebuilding, all you do is hear all the reasons why you're not winning. And you have to just completely cut that out and, and say, we are what we are. The school is what it is. Let's sell the positives. Because if we can't sell the positives, how are the players or 
you know, the, the institution or the, the board or the president or the AD or the fan base ever going to buy in. And so, you know, to me, you take all these things that people always give as the reason you can't win and they become the reason you do win. But you have to have everybody in your program embrace that and truly believe it. Because if the coaches don't, then the players never will. And that has to permeate through your staff, strength coaches, trainers, academic advisors. This is why we will win. And, and this is our philosophy. And again, the core values in terms of how we treat people and the emphasis we put on developing the, the whole player, uh, whether it be academically, spiritually, uh, socially, uh, professional opportunities after football, those things have pretty much been the same. But, you know, the style of offense, defense, all that stuff, you have to be flexible with that stuff because it's not one size fits all. You know, I, I'd love to, I, I, I mean, it just is, it resonates so much. The very first thing, and we started two and 10 at Virginia. I spent the first year doing nothing other than discovering what Virginia really was. And then after that, trying to design scheme and strategy and an approach to deliver Virginia, meaning this particular place with these particular strengths and these particular challenges okay, now let's really get into what modifications as to what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Again, on the anchor point of principle, as Dave was saying, those remain the same, but I love the idea of specificity. And to say that coaching at Brigham Young University with 85% of your team as return missionaries is the same um, place as the University of Virginia, uh, which is world-class academically with a completely different demographic, um, I just don't adhere to that. So Dave's approach and mine mesh clearly. And so if, if we do have in common this idea of being successful rebuilders, it's because of the specificity approach and how do we distinguish ourselves? And there's a great quote on strategy. You either play a different game or you play the same game different. When you have challenges to say that you just, so, so some coaches, right, they'll only inherit or only consider programs that are already going. In those cases, the amount of specificity or adaptation isn't as much. The places that Dave and I have been, it requires every way possible to deliver a place or a clientele, right? Or an institution in its own way. And it's more fulfilling because your football program is then aligned with an institution and it becomes a matching identity, which is, it's good for everybody. Dave, I'm, you, you look at Wake Forest in particular. I, I mean, you, you've been there nine seasons. You certainly have a lay of the land. It, it's one of the smallest schools in, in, in all of the Power Five. How, how do you use that as, as an advantage when, when you're going out and recruiting, when, when you're selling the school? How are you kind of using that, that small size uh, to your advantage? Well, we, we are the smallest school in the Power Five uh, by enrollment. And our sell, and, and it's genuine and it's true, is that where else in the country can you play power five football and get more individual attention? That, you know, the, the size of the classrooms, the size of the campus, uh, I'm sitting at my desk right now and I'm looking out my window and I'm looking at a residence hall that 15 of our freshmen live in. And th their ability and their access to come over here and, and not just to study film or go to the nutrition center, you know, but God forbid something bad happens in their life and they want support. They don't have to jump in a car or a shuttle bus. It's a 300 yard walk away. And I think because of that, I've never worked at a school that you can develop such deep relationships with the players 
just because we see them all the time. We're right in the middle of campus. Everything's a walk. And, you know, I, I think one of the biggest cliches in recruiting, right, is, is everybody everywhere says, hey, we're family, we're family. And, you know, it's just a thrown out cliche. And yet there's some places I worked at is the only time you see your players is those three and a half hours a day that they're required to be there. Because when practice is over, you know, this person lives 20 minutes away. This guy lives all the way on the other side of campus and has to take a shuttle bus everywhere. And we're just able to create an environment here that we're around our players so often and they get to know our faculty members. Our faculty here are incredibly supportive. They get to know our players. We have juniors and seniors here that take classes and there might only be eight to 10 people in the class and every class is taught by a full professor. And so the emphasis here is on the undergraduate education. Um, and it's just a unique place that people don't fall through the cracks here. Um, and that level of attention that we say we give, we, we actually deliver it. And it's great to work at a school that you don't feel that you're ever being a used car salesman in recruiting. There, there's an approach to the healthiest cultures um, and Dave has a chance with an intimate program based on numbers, right? That's what we just heard. Uh, but let's face it, in my pause and what I've learned is what has mattered most to me and what's been the most lasting has been the relationships. I hardly remember any of the seasons like and, and the records by season or games, moments with the players. And, and so the healthiest cultures are when the players don't want to leave your building. And so besides the, the, the mandatory right football meetings and practice, What's fun is when you start seeing success with your program, even before the record, uh, the players don't leave. And in between breaks, here they are showing up and the coaches' doors are open and they're being right. They're not being pushed in They're They're being drawn in um, and and moved by their heart to connect with people they love and care about who just happen to be their coaches, too. And those are the kind of places and relationships that man if you can get that and play power five football and then play winning power five football and get a really quality education at the same time now you're starting to talk about kind of the model i see for for what college football really um i hope ends up moving back to or becoming more of and, and that's been one of the benefits of being somewhere for nine years is when you say what the program is like, and this is how we run things. And then you have players in the program that can tell recruits, yes, that's exactly the way it's like, that when you first get to a place, you try to sell a vision. And then once you have a track record somewhere, you know, the, the vision, it's not a vision, it's not hypothetical, it's real. And, uh, you know, part of our success here is we've had very little attrition. You know, in college football nowadays with the transfer portal, I don't think anybody's not going to have any attrition. Uh, but for the most part, we've been able to keep our players here. And I think part of that comes from that the things that we say that we're going to do in recruiting, it's very important that you follow up and actually do those things. Ruffin McNeil worked on my staff uh, for one season at Virginia. And what, a, what an amazing human being. He had this saying, and only the way Ruffin could say it, he would just say real recognizes real. And and then he, then he would say, you can't con a con. Um, and in his way, that just means, right, um, be truthful. And players know and people know when you are and when you're not. 
And, and so, uh, man, when you are sincere and when your true intent is to deliver upon what you say, whether it's recruiting or not, like I, I'm not this, I don't endorse this idea of recruiting is one message. And then when, when they're in your program, it's another message. And that's fairly common. What, what Dave is referring to is it's the same message. And that consistency is what eventually builds trust. And, and then when you're, uh, the players in your organization present that, that's far more powerful than, than either Dave or I could then present it. Um, coming from one of their peers, you know, with an arm around him walking down the hall on a visit is, hey, let me just tell you that this is what it's like here. And then if, I don't know, we're giving a PowerPoint or something and that matches, uh, that's kind of the mouth of two witnesses, right? Which is way more powerful than just the presentation. But was that what kind of made that uh, 2020 COVID season just so so difficult, Dave? I mean, just not having that those those kind of familiar family bonds that uh, you're you're used to walking across campus. Yeah, I mean that that made it hard. I mean, part of my favorite part of doing this is when you have the team events. You know, you have your kickball tournament, you have your team meals, you have these little gatherings that you're bringing players to your homes, and to me, when you didn't have that, 2020 just completely became transactional. It was all about football and the results on the field. There was none of these things that make your program transformational. Um, and, and that made it hard. And quite honestly, it made it really unrewarding. Um, and before the 20 season started, you know, Bronco and I probably had more talks about how we were managing things, even though we were gonna play each other. Um, and you know, I told the staff, the whole goal of 20 is let's not mess up 21. Right now, what these players are going through in terms of isolation and stress and mental health issues, if we don't make the three to four hours that they're with us doing football the most enjoyable part of their day, we will lose something far greater than games. And so we just did anything we could uh, that we could think of to try to make their time in the football office enjoyable. And we just didn't want to lose guys and then have it affect the 21 season. And, you know, it was a roller coaster. Uh, you know, we, we got off to a tough start and then we won a few games and it finished strong, but we didn't lose our culture, which I think really allowed us to come out of the pandemic uh, and have the season that we had in 21. So I thought our coaches did a great job of not making it all transactional, that listening to them and understanding the stresses they were under and doing everything we could possibly do to make their lives better at the same time following the 25,000 different COVID protocols we had. You know, I mean, you know, I, I think I had our players had, uh, you know, you know, a Q-tip put up their nose more than they had a team meal that year. And, and that, and that became hard for all of us. There, there was a time during the, the COVID year again, and we didn't know as coaches, is this even safe? Like when two people run into each other and their sweat bangs into each other and they have it, what, what's going to happen? We didn't know. And the medical profession didn't know. And I was really clear early on with Dave. I don't think we ought to play football. I don't think we know what's going to happen. And I, I wasn't like, um, okay with, the risk because I didn't know what the outcome was. I remember early practices, I was blowing a bullhorn every 30 seconds to have players run away from each other. 
So, so we're, we're trying to practice football. And even on the sideline, I've got guys spread out over every bit of grass we could have because they're too close to each other. And did that feel transactional? It, you know, and, and we, we've just been talking this whole podcast about the other part. Well, how can you get close if you can't get close? And so the, it became this whole thing of that question. How are we going to get close without being close? <laughs> and oh, yeah. And they're keeping score at the same time. I think we all believed there might be some relief this season on outcome. Shoot. Once the first game happened, people, they kept score. And the, and the texts and emails and all the, the questions I got weren't about the protocols anymore. They were right back to the outcome. And I was like, wow, is that is this how this is going to be? And so, man, there was it was a challenge. Yeah, and uh, I think we had one of the more active uh, kind of coaching carousels that that year too, d- despite you know all, all the challenges that uh, head coaches face. And you know, David, you, you look at the ACC in particular. You know, your, your commissioner Jim Phillips has done a, a fantastic job on the D D one transformation committee. He, he's heavily involved in kind of changing over and, and looking at at. at Differences and, and how you can kind of alter the the football calendar as it as it uh, stands. If, if you were kind of put in charge, if you you were the czar, you were talking to, to Jim. What what kind of advice or what kind of uh, things would you like to see in terms of changes to the, the sport itself moving forward? Well, Jim actually put me in charge of putting that calendar together with Bubba Cunningham. So uh, a, a lot of those uh, things originated from the ACC, and, and Bubba and I met many times on it. You know, I think right now, Brian, what's really changed in coaching and Bronco can relate to this because this is my 34th year as a college football coach. Uh, But there's just not any downtime anymore. And especially for the assistant coaches. I mean, there used to be a time that, you know, summers you were able to get away and now you're constantly recruiting and between smartphones and the sped up uh, signing dates that it really is getting unhealthy. There's just no time off. There's no breaks. And there's this, uh, this pace. And it, it is true. Like if, if your recruits calling you and you're not there to take the call, somebody else is, you know, and, and is there a possible way to just make this a little bit more healthier for everybody involved? Um, can we build in some breaks and even putting in the February dead period that recruits couldn't visit uh, has been really healthy because now we're able to spend time with our own team is that you spend so much time recruiting these guys. And then once you have them, you want to spend time with them and develop a relationship with them and get to know them. And uh, there's less and less opportunity to do that. So, you know, I'd love there to see be more devoted time of spend time with your own team, develop those relationships. You know, you recruit these guys for two years and, get to know them, now really get to know them and dive into them. And I think if that happened, there'd be a lot less activity in the portal. Uh, and, and I think, you know, the expanded college football uh, playoff, it sounds like that's the direction we're going to go, you know, but, you know, every time you add a game, um, you know, there's an impact on the players and, and just what's a way of, of doing this uh in a safe matter that also looks out for their safety. So again, I think the expanded playoffs is going to happen. I think it's a good team. There's more opportunity, you know, but let's do it in a way that we're, we're not just pounding weeks and weeks onto players' bodies. 
Yeah, and I think you 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 know sitting at five and one in the top twenty five, you'd be one of those teams kind of in the mix for 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 the twelve team playoff. You mentioned the the sports science aspect too. I, I know that's been a particular focus of several ACC coaches. Dabo Swinney has, has spoken about that in particular that the stress on on players' body. Uh, you know, are are there ways to kind of overcome that a, a little bit? Maybe moving up to, to week zero, having another built in bye week in the season, is that something that uh, you know you coaches would like to see if if we do move to that twelve teamer? I think we would. I just think, I don't know how much the players want to start camp in July, right? Because <laughs> that's some of the time that is downtime. I mean, you, you really build your team in the summer, you know, when they're there lifting and working out together and, and getting together on their own, throwing the football. And that June and July time is such a bonding time for a football team. Um, and if we have to go to week zero, we have to go to week zero. But I think you know, anytime you can build in breaks and build in days off and you always want it to be something they're looking forward to doing. Um, and, you know, and, and that's the challenge because, you know, on the back end of this, right, the players want to get ready for the combine and guys graduate. Um, and you, you don't want to be necessarily playing college football into February and have that impact the guys that have a chance to get drafted and go to the combine. So moving it back becomes hard. So the only option is really moving it up. And if that's what we have to do, we have to do it. But, you know, let's not lose sight of, of trying to find ways of giving players breaks and, and time off because they need it mentally. And, you know, they also need it academically. These guys are still going to class and writing papers and taking tests. You know, n- none of that stress has been relieved from them. And it shouldn't be. That's part of being a college football player. Two, two things from my perspective, right? College football happens uh, against the backdrop and embedded in higher education. Uh, I, I haven't listened to many articles, podcasts, or anyone talk about higher education. Um, and and that goes on with college football, right? And quite frankly, um, will have a lasting effect on these kids' futures that seems to be an afterthought right now in in most of college football and I'm not I'm not okay with that. Um, I think you can do and I think you can do both at a really high level and I think a lot of uh, special coaches are really trying to do that. Um, the other part is and and my intent is to have Blake Anderson come on um, the mental health um, of young people in this environment and for older people and I've experienced it myself as a head coach this idea, that you can be under that amount of stress. And this isn't a complaint. This is just a reality. Uh, sustained pressure for that long without um, a possible impact is a faulty assumption. Young people, their mental health, their leader's mental health, right? And their well-being have to be figured out within this entire model. And that's what Dave was working on. Um, because if there isn't some oscillation, right? And some attempt for ups and downs when you're on or when you're off, um, then people break, uh, young people break, uh, and there's damage done. Um, and we're responsible to help be the guardians of that, right? And design programs and a structure to help them gain mental health besides physical health and have a great college experience. And so we're now talking about kind of a master plan that Dave's worked on, that there's a lot at stake here. Not Again, not only for just young people, but grownups too, um, in terms of their well-being, right? And if we're not careful, finance alone will be the only decider of what happens. And these things we're talking about now have to be um, weighed in. And from the right leaders, they will be. And, you know, 
one of the things I love working about, uh, I love working at Wake Forest is our players are high achievers and they just don't want to be high achievers as football players. They want to be high achievers academically. And I am so glad that this is our bye week, not because it's the halfway point of the season, but this is the week a lot of our players have midterms. Mm-hmm. And so when you have these players that part of the reason they pick Wake Forest is they want to be challenged academically and they want to take difficult courses and take challenging majors, their midterms are really important to them. And so when we can have this bye week now that a lot of those papers and midterms are done and we can give them a little bit more time to focus on another aspect of their life that is very, very important to them as well. And it's part of our cell of why you come to Wake Forest. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always glad when this bye week is during this week academically as much for football reasons. And let, let's face it, right? No one's tracking um, the top 25 GPAs. Uh, you know, so here, here's the top 25 that's announced every week. I keep waiting to see the top 25 academic report. And maybe there ought to be a sliding scale, right? So here, here's your football you know, performance. And then you, you, then you measure in the academic performance and there's a sliding scale that's weighted. And then that ends up with a true national champion. Um, I know it'll never happen, but it's fun to think about. And just a fun thing to kind of laugh about, um, even though it's not laughable of this real intent to have kids that are high achievers, you know, be great at everything and also be supported in everything from their leaders. Right. And, and let's face it, there are plenty of football buildings kids walk into and I'm not sure um, other things other than football are, are emphasized. The masterful programs are the ones, right, where they're getting lots of input and emphasis on the things in addition to, not in place of, right, in, dish, in addition to high achieving in football so they can be high achieving in so many things. And those are the people and those are the places that I'm drawn to. And those are the guests that will be on the show. Um, and hopefully that will resonate as folks see that. Absolutely. And I feel like I feel a bit like a third wheel kind of jumping in here between two two a conversation between two friends. But uh, Dave, I, I know we could probably go on for, for another hour here uh, just just getting into to your philosophy and everything going on there in, in Winston-Salem. So appreciate it so much for, for you joining us and uh, best of luck the rest of the way on, on uh, already a very successful season there for, for Wake Forest. Thanks so much, Brian and Bronco. Thanks for having me on a guest as a guest. I'm, I'm really honored. And uh you know, the respect I have for you. So, uh, you know, to be in the company of you and, and, you know, Chris Peterson last week, you know, to me, you, you are two of the coaches in this industry that I've respected the most. So wherever you end up, they're going to be extremely lucky Bronco. Thanks Dave. Best of luck the rest of the way. And for all of our listeners, um, we sure hope we're just adding value from people that, um, that you can see and hear, um, a unique, different, and insightful way to do things that really makes a difference. Absolutely. And if, uh, if, if you're out there, go ahead and tell your friends uh, about the podcast, Head Coach U, headcoachu.com, and you can find uh, all the download links to subscribe wherever you're you're listening or, or watching here on YouTube as well. Give us, Go ahead and give us five stars. This is a five-star podcast. Come on. Uh, We've we got some five-star coaches here. Go ahead and give us the, the podcast five stars. But uh, for, for Dave Clausen, for Bronco Mendenhall, I am Brian Fisher. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of Head Coach U. We'll catch you next week.